Let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. I'm all excited. I'm here in the beautiful new Lincolnshire studios where there are, nothing is dented yet. <laughs> of course, I almost threw my mouse. I wonder why they call it a mouse. I suppose because it looks like a mouse, but oh, I don't want to go there. Let's pray. And, oh, before I go there, I just want to let people know that today's word of the day is going to be heavily Minnesota themed. So don't go anywhere. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I said something twice in the Hail Mary. I wonder what that was about. Oh well. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's go to the big book on the coffee table. <clears throat> Ooh, this is going to be a day full of full of obscure words. This I, it's a short reading, but it's got some great words. This is Philippians, the second chapter, the first verse to the fourth. And, of course, I, I, I should let it go. But whenever I say this, brothers and sisters, if that's not in the Bible, I, I don't know why they throw that in. I think they want to, uh, whoever designed the lectionary thinks that it'll be more, you know, folksy and friendly if, if you feel that this little snippet of Scripture is written just for you. Well, it's not. It is written for you, but it's written for eternity and for all people and not just our little group here. But that said... We'll just move on. Is there any encouragement in Christ? This is a wonderful word. Encouragement in the Greek text is paraklesis. Uh, paraklesis. I'm sorry. I always get my accents wrong. The word paraclete, which is a title for the Holy Spirit and for Christ. Christ says you will receive another paraclete. And it's usually translated advocate. A paraclete, I believe, was a, 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 an attorney for the defense. And the paraclete was—the word literally means someone called to your side. Of that word klesis, it's, it's related to the word kalo, which means—which is uh, historically, etymologically related to our word for call. Kalo, it means call. Uh, and, and para means on the side. So someone called to your side. Your attorney called to your side. And I, I'd heard, you know, again— I have a hard time footnoting it. I should try, but uh, 
accused was expected to speak to the Greek jury. And a Greek jury in a Greek town could be thousands of people. It could be the entire ecclesia, the entire assembly. And that would be rather daunting. Well, this fellow called to your side would whisper the words into your ear to speak to the jury. Now, I, I have to look that up. That's what I, I was taught. And I, to be responsible, I suppose I should footnote it. But that's what the word means. Someone called to your side. Let's look at this. If there is therefore any encouragement, this is a title for the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit more in this in this reading, that the presence of God is at our side. You know, that, that, that um, God's not out to get us, except in the sense that he loves us. Uh, so they, they talk about encouragement. What it means is someone giving you good counsel is right next to you. So if there's any encouragement in the Messiah, Christ, if there is any paramythian, this is a fascinating word. Uh, again, it's para, which means on the side, but mythion means soothing words. It's actually related to the word for myth, a nice story. But in this sense, it has, it's the sense of soothing words. Um, again, it's, it's about consolation and encouragement. Uh, so he's saying, if these things exist, and once again, I've lost my mouse, I will find it. Oh, dear. Hmm. I wonder where it went. It's somewhere. Oh, dear. I've completely lost my mouse. This is, this is awful. I can't, I, I can't find the mouse. I, the voice in my head is going to have to actually come into where I am and, and help me find my mouse. Good grief. Well, how are all of you? Anything new since last we spoke? I'm trying to make small talk. Ah, we found the mouse. Uh, it's not great radio, but where was it? All right. All right. Now you know uh, what, what consolation means. It means Nick, the voice in my head coming in to stand at my side and find my mouse. All right. If there is any that was live, right? There you go. All right. Uh, I'm not making the voice in my head up. He's very real. Tall, very tall. All right. If there is any, if there are any soothing words of love, and this is not just, you know, sweet nothings. This is, again, agape, sacrificial love. If Then the next one is, if there is any sharing of spirit. They, they, they say of the spirit. They say of the spirit. Any participation in the spirit. Ah, uh, yeah, it could mean that, but it, it doesn't have the the, and I, I, I haven't really thought that out, but it's pretty clearly a reference to the, the Holy Spirit, and it's, it's fascinating. When you meet someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that fills your heart, even though we're weak and sinful, there is just kind of an empathy, a kind of, we're in this together, um, I, I've often said that about uh, relevant radio people, that when you meet relevant radio folks, it, you feel like you've known them forever. And, well, you kind of have. Or you will know them forever. Oh, I was going to say this at the beginning of the show. It's a wonderful saying. A Father Joseph, who comes uh, to lacrosse from Australia. I, I uh, Just enough, Father Joseph, he, he was at a, a gathering the other day, and he said uh, to the entire group, stop hoping for a better past. I thought that was intriguing. <laughs> I don't know why I think of this at the moment, but uh, so often we, we long, oh, I wish my life had been better when I was a kid. I wish it. Stop hoping for a better past. 
make it a better future. So and I don't know why that comes up. And uh, if there is any fellowship of the spirit, oh, that's it. Yeah, you meet people and and you think that you love them, you've known them forever. No, no, you will know them forever. That's a little different. And then the next, if there is any, what is the translation? If there is any uh, um, compassion. This word for compassion is really a great word. It literally means guts. Splankna. It's a great word in Greek. Splankna. If there's any guts, uh, was that live? <laughs> yes, yeah, splankna. It's, you can get it in Greek restaurants. All right. And no, don't tell me. Once again, I have lost my, oh well, I'll slowly, slowly, lente, lente. It's not coming up. Oi. Well, I, I'll just, I, I'll just keep going. Okay. Do nothing. <clears throat> or if there is any compassion, I said that means splankna. What does that word mean? It means guts. It literally means viscera. You know, you see somebody fall over and they hit themselves badly and say, "Oh, that's gonna hurt." That's splankna. It means feeling it in your guts. Uh, I think that that's a very important word for us, that it isn't just a superficial feeling. So then he goes on uh, um, uh, to say mercy, oiktirme. This is a, a fascinating word. Um, can, uh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go to a break shortly, and I'll, I'll find my mouse. But yeah, come, come on back in and find my mouse. I, I'm very embarrassed by that. I'm in a, a new—now, you know, I usually just have four, a few computers. I'm staring at four big ones now. This is the new studio, and I'm I'm not acclimated to it. Oh, that's well. Let me go on. The reason I want to talk about uh, this this word for ah, there's a mouse. I will have to keep close tabs on it. The word oh, it, you see, it goes from screen to screen. Mine doesn't do that where I usually do the show. I'll get used to it. You're all so kind to put up with this. I, I just okay. Let's get back to the text. You got your splankna. It's it's uh, it's uh, the inner guts, heart, liver, lungs, and that's where you feel it. When it isn't that just oh poor baby. <laughs> uh, I'll get back to you. If when you really feel it, that's what Saint Paul is saying. There, that that if if there's any of that in you, uh, um, and then he goes on to mercy, which is a, a another just fascinating word it's it's oh god oh, the mouse almost got away from me again they're they're twisty little characters the uh uh the word is oiktirmo oik well oiktirmi and it means compassion but it's interesting it's only used the verb of it to have mercy to have compassion is only used twice it's in the letter of the romans and it's only used by by the lord so this isn't just compassion. This is compassion the way St. Paul understands God having compassion for us. It's, it's a compassion that, that God has for you and me and that, that I should have for others. It isn't just plain old garden variety compassion. So uh, then he goes on to, to, to the verb. I used to tell my students, look for the verb. Look for the verb. Until you found the verb. A sentence is a noun, a subject, and a verb. That's a complete sentence. So we find the verb, fulfill my joy. If if you have any of these virtues, fulfill my joy. And this, this is the Holy Spirit speaking, not just St. Paul. And so how do we fulfill his joy? By being of one mind. That's not what the text says. Uh, it, it, it 
fulfill my joy by focusing on the same thing. The, the, the verb here is, um, this is, uh, it's phronel, and that word means to consider, to observe, to care for. Uh, someone who is careless is aphronimos. I think that would be the word. The word means to focus. Now, we're never going to have the same mind. And the text isn't asking us to do that. We're going to disagree with each other. But we're focused on the same thing. Having that love and, and sharing, and the word is that says united in soul uh, 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 in the text, or, or, or well, it, it's kind of complete my joy of being the same mind, the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing, now focusing on one thing, on the same thing, not one thing, focusing on the same thing, which is Christ. You know, I may disagree with you. Um, you know, people come up and say, well, unless you're water baptized by immersion, you're, you're, you're clearly not saved and you have to do it this way, you have to do it that way. And then the controversy last week, well, unless you're in this organization, you can't go to heaven. No, no, unless you're in that organization, unless basically you're in my club, you can't go to heaven. Look, you love Jesus when you get in a fight with someone who's a believer. You love Jesus, I love Jesus. Is this not enough? We love the same Christ. And that's what St. Paul is saying. Focus on the same thing, Christ whom you love. And be uh, it means like-minded. They translate united in soul, and it can mean that. But but it really means the the psyche can be the intellect an intellectual level. This is what we're about. We're about Christ. We're considering Christ. So uh, so have the same love, the same sacrificial love. Again, that's the word agape, and be like-minded in by by considering the same thing. They use that verb pronoun again. I know I'm kind of being picky about the verbs, but I think they're very important. We're being asked to focus on Christ, and in this time in which there is so much difficulty in the word world, you know, we get into all these issues. I'll never forget, you know. Um, that when I was a much younger priest, there was a a, a, a woman who uh, was she thought very highly of me because I she thought I was traditional and I am, but at that point in my life I and and I still I mean this is going to upset some people I I actually think pastorally at the current moment probably receiving communion on the tongue is a good idea because young people don't don't seem to understand. My generation, we knew what the host was. We had that Eucharistic reverence, and I don't find the hand any less sacred than the tongue. But I think because so many children have not been raised up in a good catechesis, maybe we need to reconsider that. However, I always say, do what your bishop tells you. Obedience is pleasing to God. Well, when she found out that was my attitude, she stopped liking me because we didn't agree about one small point. It's not a small point, Father. Listen, I love Jesus, you love Jesus. Can't we all just get along? I think one doesn't want to minimize disagreements or issues. I think that was one of the reasons I was so close to Rabbi Lefkowitz. He would pay me the honor of arguing with me. 
but he knew that I loved God and he loved God, and that was enough for him. And somehow it's not enough for us to, to love God, to, to, to love Christ. That's why St. Paul is saying to the Philippians, focus on him and not on the petty theological squabbles that, that seem to make up so much life. So, um, oh, there's my mouse, thank heaven. Okay, moving, moving back here. So he goes on. I think it's the, the voice might just as there's a genie in the mouse. No, I think there's an evil spirit in it. Okay, moving along. Oh, dear. And I'm not going to talk about that today. Moving along here. All right. If, therefore, there is any—oh, I just went to the, in the wrong direction with my mouse. Okay, I'll go. There we go. Do nothing out of for the sake of strife, and they do. They call it self-interest, um, but it it it's um, erythria. It, it it means work done for hire, um, and and it, it's for ambition. But it can it also can mean um, uh, it can mean feuds. It can mean a feud. Uh, I think the goddess of feuds was erith was somehow related. That name was related. But, you know, sometimes we get into a snit with someone about some point and we forget everything else but, but the argument. And that's, that's what he's saying. Do nothing out of, out of uh, this, this kind of love of a good quarrel. Okay, now once again the mouse has gone. Oh, well, let me just continue reading. Do nothing out of selfishness or vainglory. It is fascinating to me that even at this point in the life of the church that, that there, there was ambition. This is the church is not half a century old, but there was ambition. I think that's amazing to me. So uh, he's saying don't do that. So humbly regard others as more important than yourself. And he's going to say that's what Christ did. Have that mind in you which was in Christ Jesus in the next section. How in the name of sweet heavenly glory, can this be the attitude of Christ, that he thought of others as more important than himself? Uh, this is mind-boggling, that the Son of God, the only perfect human being born who was perfect on his own merits. I mean, our Blessed Mother was gifted with the Immaculate Conception. But Jesus, on his own merit, was sinless and perfect. How? Could he possibly think of me as being more important than him? He came to die for me and for you and for us. He came to give his life for us. He thought us that important. And I often wonder if, if he was conscious, um, and I'm sure he was, of the great sorrow that I, the Blessed Mother would endure for his sake. You know, that he knew that this, he was going to hurt his mom. Not intentionally. I mean, I hope you're taking what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But Jesus never wanted to hurt his mother intentionally. But I'm sure he perceived that she was Our Lady of Sorrows. There's a salt shaker. She perceived that he perceived that she was Our Lady of Sorrows, and that standing at the foot of the cross, her heart would break just like the prophet had Simeon had prophesied in the temple. And I I actually think that's why he was hesitant to work the miracle at Cana because of his great love for his mother, that he did not want to, he knew that once, once he worked a miracle, the, the jig is up. You know, he set things in, in, in process that would end with his death on the cross, and there she would stand at the foot of it. So he thought, Jesus thought humbly of himself. 
If God can think humbly of himself, how could I ever think that I'm more than I am? So that said, we'll go to a break, uh, and we will be back in a few moments if I can figure out where my mouse is hiding. I think it's under the desk. Uh, If I can figure out where the the mouse is, 888-914-9149, we'll open the phones and we'll come back and go to letters. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Flexible Premium Life Insurance. For less than $12 a month, a 40-year-old can get a half million dollars of coverage. Go to RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester today. An Illinois Life Insurance Society, not available in all states. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! You know, it's kind of funny listening to this song. You know, that that, uh, um, everybody's also fascinated with all that nonsense. The Catholic Church, we got the real thing. I mean, seriously. That, uh, um, you know, when you think about it, Jesus' ministry was about a third teaching, a third healing, and a third casting out demons. And we're still doing it. People say, oh, Catholic Church doesn't have exorcisms anymore. Oh, yeah, they do. And uh, uh, it's, it's very real. There's nothing that will make you... Uh, Believe this stuff more strongly. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Amen. Please don't. Uh, but it's real. All right. Let's enough of this. Let's go to letters. Oh, this is a, 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 a bit of a thing I get occasionally. This is from Dan. And he's mentioning that, um, uh, as I understand it, betrothal back in the time of Christ didn't simply mean being engaged. But it meant the couple was married, although not yet together. The author said that it would not have been uncommon for a betrothed, this is an author he read, betrothed a couple to have relations prior to the move in date. He said this, not to in, intimate that Joseph and Mary were intimate, uh, but that Mary's pregnancy wouldn't have been a scandal per se. I have never been able to footnote that, and from my experience of Orthodox Jews, who in large part have not changed in a couple thousand years, except for they wear different clothing, that is simply not true. Usually, in a really traditional uh, marriage, the, the bride and groom might not meet until the day of the wedding. They would certainly not have been allowed to be alone together until the contract was formalized. Now, I don't know the time of Christ that a marriage contract was signed, but I believe it was. The, the Jewish wedding is normally this, and, and um, this is where it relates to the, the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. Believe it or not, the Apocalypse means the unveiling. You go somewhere, the bride and her family are, the bride and her parents are there, the groom and his parents are there, because this is an arranged marriage. These marriages were, were arranged. And the groom looks under the veil to make sure that the bride is who they are contracting for. And I asked Rabbi Lefkowitz, why do you do this? He said, so that no one will pull a fast one on us like they did with Jacob and Leah, Jacob our father. So they tend to keep customs going for a few thousand years. Well, after that, they sign the um, 
contract, and then at least now they have a schnapps, and that's not that peppermint stuff we talk about. Schnapps in Yiddish or German is any liquor strong enough to take the paint off the wall. And then they go to the place the wedding is going to be held, and they are married under a, a, a canopy, a hoopah. Before the contract was signed, there would, I cannot imagine that Jews, even at the time of Christ, would have approved of intimacies between a man and a woman. So I think that's a perfect myth. And, and people do it to defend the Blessed Mother. Oh, she wouldn't have been a scandal. I beg your pardon. Her son was a scandal, and she was Our Lady of Sorrows. And that, that just enhances the beauty of the story to me because she never once explains anything. She lets God do the explaining. She never defends herself in the text of Scripture. She lets the Lord defend her. Uh, our Blessed Mother is in her unexpected pregnancy the very example of faith. She had absolute trust in the Lord. And so this kind of mythology that people uh, 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 want to sort of wheel out to, to make the whole story acceptable to Victorian middle-class people, I don't think it's so. I have no—if anyone has a good footnote, a Jewish footnote preferably, I would like to know. I'll have to talk to, to uh, Rabbi Lozovsky about that, but I, 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 from my experience, that is not true. So— there you go, Dan. All right, now let us go to a letter here. I've got this one. Um, uh, a woman called in uh, last week saying that she had a Star of David with a cross in it. And I've seen it. It's a lovely thing. And uh, I, no, I don't think there's any objection to wearing it. Jesus was the descendant of David. He is the Jewish Messiah. And I use the word Jewish advisedly. He's from the tribe of Judah. Uh, and and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with, with that. Well, you said Christians could wear the Star of David. Are you kidding? Also, are Jewish people going to heaven too? Well, we had in the text of Scripture last week examples of Jewish people in heaven. You will weep and wail when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets in the kingdom and you excluded. So those are some Jewish people in heaven. You see, we, so this is, again, that I just constantly say, you know, well, well, then why bother with baptism? Because baptism is necessary. But I thought you said you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. I have to be baptized because I have the opportunity to do so. But the Catholic Church has taught, even though we believe that outside or beyond the church there's no salvation, that the church still provides that salvation to people who may not know explicitly what that salvation means. The Lord will explain. I love what uh, the Lord said in, in, in St. Faustina in one of her visions. And you know, I always say, treat these as pious meditations. This isn't Catholic doctrine, but still a beautiful thing. In one of, one of St. Faustina's uh, uh, visions, when she asked about what about people who don't have the opportunity to hear the gospel, he said, don't worry, at the hour of death, I am my own apostle. Well, then why do we bother getting baptized in this life and being good Christians when I can just get about and do terrible things? No, you can't. You have a conscience. The law of God is written in your heart, St. Paul says. So why, but why be active in Christian life? You know what? God knows that I'm such a bad person that he had to start early in this world to get me to heaven. So it is for my advantage to be in the fullness of the faith with baptism, the sacraments, and all of the gifts that come with 
with Catholic faith. The rest one leaves to God. So all I can say is that Jesus talked about a number of Jewish people who were in heaven. Nah, in the Bible, you know, the big book on the coffee table. Okay, now I, there's my mouse. It hasn't gotten away from me. I wonder if I can get a little mouse leash. Okay, let's. What time is it? Oh, I, oh, I'm doing. I'm, I'm betting a thousand. Let's go to, to another question, another letter. Okay. Here we go. If God knows the date and time when I'll die, and if I decide with my free will to kill myself, did God already know that? Your problem here is the word already. Now, Father Branken, my classmate, regularly criticized me for the, the heresy of omnitemporalism, he calls it. But you can't use the word already with God, or God knew, or God will know. God knows. For God, all moments are now, all places are here. God knows the moment of my death and the circumstances of my death. So if that's true, why did he create me? He created me for the sake of love, so that I have the opportunity to love. He didn't create me uh, to be a puppet. He wants me to be his son, and he wants you to be a son or daughter. Just because you know something is going to happen doesn't mean you cause it. If I'm standing on an overpass and I see some guy driving like a madman and I see there's an obstacle, I say, ooh, this is not going to be good. Did I cause the accident? No, I did not. To know in advance is not to cause. So God knows everything that ever has happened in history and ever will. That doesn't change the fact that I have freedom. Uh, so, okay, I hope that helps. Let me see here. One more letter, one more letter. Okay. Okay, regarding the question, does one have to be Catholic to be saved? The standard answer seems to be, uh, uh, um, this is from Mary, and um, I think this is Mary, who, who I actually know, I think um, up in... Uh, Wisconsin, uh, if it's that that Mary that I know. Of course, I know a lot of Marys in Wisconsin. But yeah, one does not have to be Catholic to be saved, but it is easier to be saved if one is a Catholic. I don't know that I'd even say easier, but I think, as I said, God looks at some partic particularly tough cases, and he says, that one, not only am I going to make him a Catholic, I'm going to ordain him. That'll get him to heaven. Uh, I, I wonder. So I think that is a good point. Uh, one does not have to have to be Catholic to be saved, but it is easy to be saved if one is Catholic. God has given us in the church so many beautiful things, and he has given me what he knows I need. And I firmly believe that we look at the Catholic Church in this world, or any church, as an organization with men with black shirts and little plastic collars and lots of lots of odd ceremonies and interesting rules and, and uh, lots of diocesan offices— that's not how God looks at the church. He sees her as a bride, a wife, and a mother. And I think every person who enters paradise will be in love with the Catholic Church when they see her as Christ sees her. So we, people who have not known the splendor and beauty of the church, I have a feeling when they meet the Lord Jesus in heaven, he'll say, I'd like to introduce you to my wife. And uh, she will be as beautiful as a bride can be. And when I look at the organization of the church of which I am a part and in which I believe, well, 
it isn't uh, all that. But the way God sees her, God sees the reality, and she is beautiful. And if you want to know the beauty of the church, get to know the saints, the lives of the saints. You want to get to know the church? Read the catechism. Don't don't look at uh, guys like me who have uh, plastic collars that are cutting off our circulation. I j- oh, yeah, uh, the, the voice in my head just reminded me. We're, we're going to be talking about saints tomorrow, and I'm going to pick two interesting saints, the great apostles of the nation of Frisia. What? They were extremely important, have affected your life uh, immutably, historically. Saints Willie Broad and St. Boniface. That's who I'm going to talk about tomorrow. It'll be fun. All right, I think we should go to a break. I'll come back with a word of the day, a Minnesota-themed word of the day. And uh, uh, then we'll open the phones for calls at 888-914-9149. And I want to remind you, starting October, November 2nd, rather, we will be having the, uh, uh, the novena for the holy souls, the poor souls in purgatory. So call in at 888-914-9149. Sky. Pneuma. All right. Another Greek word. Oh, I wish my mouse had cooperated, but what are you going to do? <laughs> Next time I'm bringing holy water. Okay, moving along here. Let's go to. Uh, uh, oh, will the phones are. Are the phones open? We're, we're trying. Well, you know. I always say radio is not an exact science, especially when I'm involved with it. All right, moving along here. Let's go to the word of the day. Okay, this is a great word of the day. Jesus in the gospel says, On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees. Now, he said, When you hold a lunch or dinner, do not invite your friends or brothers. I thought, Lunch or dinner, what in the name of sweet heavenly glory is lunch in Greek? I'd never, you know, dinner is depnon, but lunch or dinner, I, I'd never um, run into that word. Well, I looked it up. <laughs> Good kind of thing. The, the, um, uh, I need to, to sort of segue into, Minnesotan. I, I don't speak fluent Minnesotan, but I can get along. Um, many people who live in urban Minnesota wouldn't even know this. But in rural Minnesota, and by the way, a shout out to the Feltles, good friends of, of Relevant Radio, who I'm sure understand this, this particular uh, uh, <laughs> digression into the Minnesotan dialect. In Minnesota, you have... Four meals. You have breakfast, dinner, and supper. The big meal, especially on the farm, would be at noon because you need the uh, the uh, um, the energy. But there's something called a little lunch. Would you like a little lunch? Everybody's moving, 
Yeah, that's the Little Lunch theme song. Not necessarily Minnesotan. Ah, where was I? The 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 Little Lunch is a meal that's served at any time at two in the morning. If you arrive late on a car trip to visit someone in Minnesota, the lady of the house usually, uh, yeah, which in January the voice just said in my head it's likely, you'll arrive late. You're going to be greeted with, would you like a little lunch? And out comes a complete ham, potato salad, coleslaw, various types of bread, butter, jam, maybe a, a dessert, a jello salad. That's a little lunch. Well, I looked up the word in the text for a little lunch, uh, for lunch, in which Jesus says, if I could find it, when you give a lunch or a dinner, the word is exactly the same as in Minnesotan. It's Ariston, which means a meal that has no specific time to it. So Minnesotans, if you do the little lunch thing, you're doing something biblical. Would you like a little lunch? I can't hear that pastoral thing of the soup kitchen. Don't that the soup kitchen that I was privileged to be part of. I didn't start it, and I barely worked at it. I just stood there, and people thanked me for the meal after I'd done nothing. But um, it was a great honor to be able to to serve people the way Christ had asked us to, and and um, I think that's an important thing to do. But I just wanted people in Minnesota to know that when they invite someone to a little lunch, they're doing something biblical. Ariston, a meal that has no time frame. I think it's interesting, but well, let's move on. There was actually a book, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, How to Talk Minnesotan, Don't You Know? Um, but I digress. Do we have phone calls? Oh, our phones, for some reason, are not happy. So we're going Something to go— horrible has happened! Well, not that horrible. We're going to go back to letters. You know, one trusts God in all of this. Okay, all right. Now, this is a letter. I got some great letters anyway. This is fascinating. Again, it goes into what I said earlier. At what point after creation did the devil and his angels fall from grace? Was it before the creation of man? Was it before the creation of the earth? Remember that for God, there is no time. For us, there is time measured by a clock. Now, I don't know if any of you are physics aficionados, but... The idea that time chugs along at a perfectly even rate, it does not. Time, now this is physics, about which I know almost nothing, but that won't stop me from talking about it. Time can be sped up or slowed down by gravity. Gravity affects time. That is some weird, wild stuff. That's true. It is weird and wild. Gra time is not an absolute, even in the created universe. Ugh. And now some scientists are actually thinking that the, the cosmic speed limit of the speed of light is not absolute. So time, even in this world, I can look at a watch. If I was on a spaceship going close to the speed of light, and I don't even like airports, I don't know I'd like that, but um, if time would be a different experience. Where there is, is time, where there is change, there is time. And as I said, my father, my, my father, my classmate, Father Branken, regularly accuses me of heresy. But I will agree with him that 
in some sense in purgatory because there is change. We grow closer to the Lord. We're formed deep, more deeply in his image in the process of judgment. There must be some sense of time. Now, C.S. Lewis in the screw, screw tape, the screw, oh dear, in the screw tape letters, magnificent. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes, the, the, the screw tape letters, uh, he talks about uh, the s- celestial time frame being different from the earthly time frame. So, he, the, the, the devil, of course, the screw tape letters is a correspondence between two demons. It's fiction, but boy. I know some exorcists who say C.S. Lewis got it spot on in that book, Screwtape Letters. But um, the, the, the celestial dating is different than dating on Earth. So these things that we're talking about, Wormwood, didn't necessarily happen in the same, in the right, the same sequence as, as the, the human vermin would have, would have uh, uh, recorded them. Very interesting. So time, I guess what I want to say is time is not an absolute. So when you say, did God already know... No, he didn't already know. He knew. He knows. Uh, God knows what I did yesterday, and he, he knows yesterday what I did yesterday. And from the beginning of time, he knows what I did yesterday. Um, in him, there is no change. So let's get back to the question. At what point after creation did the devil and his angels fall from grace? Well, according to the scriptural narrative, the devil and his angels would have would have denied Christ, <laughs> fallen from grace before the creation of the world. Uh, and because, of course, the devil is there to tempt Adam and Eve just after the creation has happened. Now, God sees the creation of the world in seven days. A physicist might see it in 14 billion years. I don't know. But the point is, the point I'm trying to make is that time is not what we think it is. It is a measure of change. And uh, sometimes there are different dimensions that measure change differently. Hard to think about, so don't worry about it. All right. Now, hi, Father Simon. Could you please tell me if there are guidelines uh, for who is allowed to expose the Blessed Sacrament? Our parish has a pastor. We do not have an assistant pastor or deacon. The normal—I looked this up just to make sure I wasn't making it up. The normal— person responsible for the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament is a priest or a deacon, and I would assume a bishop because he is also a priest and deacon. Um, That's who should do it. However, if no priest or deacon is available, a a communion minister or someone else designated by the pastor may do it. They may not bless people with the monstrances and benediction. Incense is not used. It is simply exposition, though it would be appropriate, I think, to sing a hymn uh, when that's where hymns are appropriate in these in these uh, ceremonies, so I think that um, uh, the it would be appropriate to to sing a hymn uh, appropriate like Tanto Mergo or Adorote Devote or another hymn in whatever language you want to sing it at the exposition, and then to end with uh, an appropriate hymn. The one we always use is. Uh, Holy God. So that, I hope, answers your question, Jill. Uh, there you go. Now, let's see here. Another one. Oh, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. This is from Jen. I have a few questions on the topic of curses and the demonic. I don't know any exorcist that I can ask these questions to. Well, I'm not an exorcist, thank God, but I will do my best. What is a curse and how can one do it unknowingly? Two, 
is thinking, I wish a certain person will die, or I wish it would stop raining, a curse. These are just thoughts without using anything like voodoo dolls or asking a witch to do spells. What about if it comes to that and the person dies shortly thereafter? Does one need to go confess that to a priest? And then three, am I calling on the devil to do the work? All right, if I understand the question, what is a curse and how can one do it unknowingly? I don't think you could curse someone unknowingly. The word curse in Latin, to bless is benedicere and to curse is maledicere. It means to speak well or to speak ill. Because, you see, most people have the belief that to say it gives it some reality. This is a, a very kind of traditional superstitious attitude on, on uh, people. And people talk about, well, when I die, oh, don't say that. You know, well, you're gonna, I'm gonna, we're all gonna. Um, but you don't say it, you know. Um, um, how often have I, being, of course, without any superstition, knocked wood when I hear something that I do want to hear or don't want to hear? That's a superstition. Uh, um, superstition means something that stands above. It stands above uh, reality. Uh Go back to this idea. So that's what those words mean. And to say something good unknowingly or to say something bad unknowingly, I don't think that makes sense because Jesus said, from the fullness of the heart, uh, the mouth speaks. What's in your heart generally comes out your mouth. So you may not be thinking it in your brain, but you are intending it in your spirit. And if you're always saying, oh, I can't stand that person. I hope something terrible happens to them. You are cursing them. And that is not something we're supposed to do. To love someone is to, I'm telling you this constantly, I think it's Thomas Aquinas' definition, to love someone is to will their good. To will the good of the other. And if I can do something about the good of the other, I'm supposed to do it. Because if I will it but don't do it, I don't really will it. But in most circumstances, I I don't know this person well enough. I don't have the ability to intervene in uh, in their lives. Uh, So I'll say a prayer for them. We are called to will the good of every human being, even those we don't like. You know, this. I wish a certain person would die. I wish it would stop raining. In a sense, those are curses. You are you are wishing ill to someone. Um, and in a sense, you know, when something is, we want to we want to be able to divide the world into A and B, black and white, good and bad, angelic and demonic. And the fact is that in all these things, there are continua. They the they they. they flow one into another, that, well, is illness demonic? Yes. Well, clearly then it's caused by the, no, it's caused by microorganisms usually or something like that. I thought you said it was demonic. The world is broken. It was broken, we believe, by the sin of our first parents. So St. Paul talks about the leader, the ruler of this present age. That sort of thing. So we live in a world that's broken, and and much of the world we see around us is really kind of the devil's playground, and we live in it. And our call is to make it God's garden. You know, we're we're here like Adam was placed here, to be the gardeners, to make this place into the garden of paradise, and not not that, that waste that the devil would want it to be.
So when in my heart I, I, I wish ill to people, in the broadest sense, I'm cooperating with the world of evil. Um, but I just feel these things. I can't do anything about it. Yes, you can. You can, you, again, with this uh, theme I, I throw at you constantly, a habit of vice is overcome only by a habit of virtue. I will say it again. A habit of vice is overcome only by a habit of virtue. The seven deadly sins are deadly, not because they're mortal sins necessarily, but because they are vices and can consume our lives if we allow them and bring us into a state of willful mortal sin. Pride is a vice. It's a habit that I can't break. Well, how do I break the habit of pride? Sacrament of confession helps, especially if you've got a good confessor. will tell you, yeah, you're right, that was a sin. And comparing yourself to Christ and to the saints. That's a, a, to make the habit of reading the lives of the saints, I find, is, uh, reminds me I'm not all that. Uh, anger. It's a vice. It takes over. I can't help it. I just, I get angry and it just comes up. How do you, how do you deal with the habit of anger? Again, you take a deep breath, and as you let it go, you simply say, Jesus, I trust in you. It's like a sedative. If you develop that habit, it's got to become a habit. Every time you get angry, that's your go-to response, Jesus, I trust in you. You can conquer it. If you remain in your anger willfully, well, that's a serious, that can be a serious sin. Envy. How do I deal with end? How do I deal with envy? Oh, that's a terrible person, and they, they're rich as can be, and they get all the good stuff, and I can't stand them, and I hope something terrible happens to them. How do I deal with that? That's it. Just works its way into my soul. You look at them, and you realize that God loved them infinitely, and you say, "Lord, help me to see this person as you see them." They may look to you. I, I found this happening. I look at people and think, oh, their lives are so much easier than mine. They're looking at me all the time and thinking, boy, his life is so easy. <laughs> and it is because God's been good to me. So many people that we envy, they're looking at us and envying us. So a habit of virtue, to overcome the habit of envy, Lord, help me to see this person the way you see them and to love them the way you love them. It's all that matters because all they're going to get in the end is six feet of dirt, just like you and me. So anger, envy, you can overcome them. Any vice can be overcome by a habit of virtue, but can only be overcome by a habit of virtue. And speaking of habits of virtue, Drew is coming up, so don't go anywhere. You're going to get a chance to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplain. Today's a good day to pray for God's mercy. 